Hello, and welcome to TTELT, Teaching Tips for English Language Teachers. I'm Dr. Eileen Hale, our COO, and I have with us a special guest today, Dr. Peter Edwards. Peter got Hi, Hi, Peter. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Just a quick introduction of Dr. Edwards, who got his doctorate degree in England, although he's originally from the United States. He began his teaching career in Poland over 30 years ago and then went on to teach for 23 years in Korea and Japan as well. He's worked in Colombia, Kenya, and Rwanda and is currently working in the English language department at a university in Saudi Arabia. So how does that catch you for a global <laughs> participant here uh, sharing his expertise with us today on presentation experiences for lasting learning. This month of October, we're focusing on experiential education as techniques for engaging your students in real life authentic learning opportunities. So again, Dr. Edwards is with us today to share how presentation experiences bring about real lasting learning. So Dr. Edwards, please take the microphone. We're so happy to have you here with us today and uh, feel free to share anything more about yourself and how you got into this technique of experiential presentations. Thank you so much. Please call me, uh, please call me Peter Eileen. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for this, this opportunity. Uh, I, I love TTELT, it's great. And it's, it's quite an honor to be here. So thank you very much. And uh, I would like to share just a, a little bit of my own experiences teaching. And uh, one in particular that I have been doing for quite some time. And I'll give you a little bit of background. It's about presentation skills, but in many ways, I agree with uh, the quote here that uh, John Dewey has uh, been quite made famous for, that education is a social process. Education is growth. Education is not preparation for life, but is life itself. And that is something that has always you know, caught me. And I've always thought, wow, that's, that's really cool. That's how I have felt about my own education and as, as an educator. And so what I'm very interested in, uh, and some might say a little crazy about, is authenticity and trying to give experiences to my students that are authentic, that are something that they can really take into and experience as real life. So trying to make something authentic where people can really say, oh yeah, this prepared me or this was a real life experience. So that's, uh, that's something that's always caught my attention in terms of being an educator. That's wonderful. And we really appreciate your sharing this, these ideas with us today. I myself did my doctorate degree in international education and my dissertation was on this field of experiential education. So I studied a lot about John Dewey and how he developed what we call today the concept of service learning as our more modern terminology for experiential education in classrooms. But your concept of uh, integrating the authentic life experiences is through presentations, which I'm fascinated by. So if you don't mind sharing like how you got into this and then obviously the steps of what you call stranger presentations. 
but maybe just a quick introduction. How did you get into this whole idea of presenting to strangers, if you will? What do you mean by stranger presentations? Sure, um, I'll, I'll tell two, hopefully, kind of quick stories. The, the first one is, is just a simple thing where I was sitting in my office, this was actually in South Korea, and an old student walked into, the class, into my office and said, oh, it's very nice to see you, blah, blah, blah. And uh, said, oh, I really enjoyed your class. And I, I asked them, I said, really, what did you enjoy about it? And they kind of got a little stumped. It didn't really say anything. And I was like, hmm, well, that's very nice of them to say that, but I really, really want to give things that are memorable to my students, something that they can quickly say, oh yes, I remember this and this has helped me. So that kind of pushed me on. Let's jump ahead a few years and I was doing presentations for, uh, with, with my students. And this was actually uh, international business and uh, international relations students. Anyway, uh, I've, I've always been a bit of a fringe crazy teacher and just uh, impulsive when I get an interesting idea. And one day I just said, you know what? I think my students aren't quite taking this seriously enough, this presentation that they have to give. And so I said to everybody, okay guys, grab your stuff, stand up, we're going outside. It was still a little chilly uh, on an early spring morning and they were all very, <laughs> very shocked by what we were doing. We went outside, the university was near a subway stop and I took them all onto the subway, paid for their tickets, pretty cheap at the place. And uh, I took them all onto the subway. And as we were standing there on the platform waiting for the train, I said, you are now, you were supposed to give your presentations today and you are now going to give those presentations in the subway in front of all of the passengers. They were shocked. Uh, I pushed them into it and they really just, they were so shocked. They really didn't know what to do or, or, or how to, to fight against this and it happened. They gave the presentations. They, they got a lot of strange looks from people and, and they were speaking in English, which is not commonly done on the streets of South Korea, especially at this time. And they, they did it. Uh, they did quite well. They, they got into the spirit of it. They stopped feeling so self-conscious and then they were all doing it as a team. And, but still today I hear from students who say, oh my goodness, that crazy experience was really a big thing and it helped me to get over a lot of my fear of public speaking. And uh, consequently, just the fear of, of being willing to communicate uh, in a second language. So later on in another place when I was teaching in Japan, I decided I'm going to formalize this and I'm going to have my students on a regular basis give their presentations instead of just in front of their classmates, give it in front of an unknown audience. Before they give their presentations, they don't know who will show up. And so I would have open invitations and the students didn't know exactly who was going to come. Sometimes I would arrange it with uh, other, uh, other professors, other uh, instructors, and sometimes I just put some posters out and people would just come. And I called this stranger presentations. And for those of us that can see the uh, PowerPoint, I have capitalized the S-T, the A-G-E in the word stranger to spell out stage. 
because as Shakespeare said, all the world is a stage. And so that's my interpretation of, of what John Dewey said and bringing that social and that real life experience into learning. That is fantastic. I didn't uh, figure that out until you just explained that the stage for the, within the stranger. That's fantastic. I love that idea. And you know, it reminds me, I did a, an episode for us a little while back called Thinking Outside the Box. And this is exactly the type of thing I'm referring to for those listeners. If you want to go back to listen to a previous podcast episode we have uh, that I did on Thinking Outside the Box. Peter's uh, episode today is a perfect example of that. And what I meant by do something radical to gay students on the subway when they're least expecting it and how you might flip that as if you can't do something as radical as that and wherever you are, bring strangers, if you will, into the classroom and shift things up for the students to really have to realize how to do live presentations and the importance of that. So thank you so much for sharing that background. Do you want to, sure. you can quickly, uh, if you want to quickly explain the steps and then we'll go through one by one of each of the steps as uh, we share your stranger presentation ideas today. Sure, actually, uh, and, and that sounds fascinating. Uh, I, I think I'll go and recheck that, uh, that other podcast you just spoke about. Uh, that sounds great, Eileen. Um, what I've done is I've broken this down into a somewhat arbitrary number of seven steps. I like the number seven, uh, seven steps towards this stranger presentation that I actually did seven or eight times at a university in Japan, actually. And the, the way that I've broken them up is, as I said, somewhat arbitrary, but these are basically the steps that I used when I was doing this again and again on a large scale with all of my classes. And it is a little bit of a stepwise thing because my students, they kind of heard about this and they, they could be scared a little bit uh, more than, than the, the shock and surprise of my first students on the subway. So I realized that uh, having a bit of a step and a procedure was something that helped them prepare themselves for this. And also because I have done some teacher training about this to help other students. So I have this into uh, these seven steps that I'll go through now. And I hope that it gives a bit of an outline. Of course, it's not very strict in terms of the rules, but a bit of an outline of what I did to help prepare the students. And I have found success with this over the years that I've done this. Fantastic. So why don't we just take each step one by one, if that's okay? Um, Absolutely. Your first step, I think you mentioned, is in-class spotlighting. Can you explain, and if you want to share a quote you have and explain what that means for our listeners? Yeah, I, I'll be happy to. Um, the, the quote here is, and, and these are also a little bit arbitrary, but the quote here is actually from another teacher, and it says, I liked how teachers and students of all proficiency levels participated. It helped me remember what it feels like to prepare and deliver a presentation in another language. This was a native English speaker who I asked to kind of turn the tables on us. Uh, I asked to give a presentation in Japanese. And this actually helped to relax the Japanese students who are giving presentations in their second language of English. But this idea of 
turning the tables and everybody in this kind of uncomfortable situation is uh, some kind of equal status. Everybody has to be in that same discomfort zone, that same uncomfortable place. And I try also to make everybody speak for an equal amount of time. And now I'm not talking about the big formal stranger pre presentation, but leading up to that in class, I, I on a regular basis have the students spotlighted. So they'll be in small groups and I will give them numbers and I'll say all number ones, please stand up. And they then must speak and they must go on for one minute or two minutes or whatever, but they are on the spotlight and they have to speak for that same amount of time. Doesn't matter so much there, how, how well they speak English, but they all have to stand up, be spotlighted for that time. So before the big strangers presentation, uh, we get them into the habit of standing up, physically standing up and speaking for uh, a, a period of time. What I've noticed with myself uh, at times and with a lot of teachers is you get a lot of noise in the class and you kind of get happy with that noise. But if you look really carefully, a lot of people are just kind of going, ah, uh -huh, yeah, ha, 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 and they're kind of making noise, but they're actually not spotlighted where they actually have to produce language. So step one, is on a regular basis, just in general, whether it's talking about their homework or doing an exercise, individual students several times within a class period have to stand up and have the eyes of maybe just two or three group members on them, but they have the spotlight. That's a great idea. I really like that. And that's very applicable to any setting, any, even if it's on Zoom, you can have a spotlight on Zoom. <laughs> You're still yeah, doing yeah. learning. Um, but particularly in the classroom, having to stand up and be in the spotlight, that's a great idea. I think everybody, wherever they are around the world can apply that right away. Um, your second point so. is about brain codes. Can you explain what you mean by that? And how does that sure. I'll, I'll read the quote here and then get back into the title of brain codes. codes. Um, this is a quote from a student telling other people my ideas was a nice experience, although I was very nervous and shy. I think this experience led me to be active and outgoing. This student, uh, wow, I, I think about her all the time. She, she actually worried me a bit because she really had anxiety about speaking in public. She had anxiety about speaking in her native language. Uh, and this is something that so many people have. It's, it's, it's quite common to have this, this level of anxiety, but I was, I was really concerned, oh my goodness, can I actually push this poor person to do the stranger presentation? She actually performed very well and it was, her great bravery and the, the people around her. But I use her quote here in step two with brain codes. And codes is an acronym that I threw together um, because this is not deep, strong brain-based learning, very scientific stuff, but it is focusing on three brain, chem uh, sorry, five brain chemicals that I find very important. Um, cortisol, oxytocin, dopamine, epinephrine, 
epinephrine and serotonin, C-O-D-E-S. And I kind of use that as a, as a little gimmick to, to think about how you can break through some of the brain things, uh, the different chemicals that sometimes uh, affect our behavior quite strongly. What I would like to mention here is cortisol, which is our stress chemical. And we all have it coursing through our veins, sometimes more than others. And that can very often paralyze us. It can really scare us so much that we just don't want to perform a certain activity. Another of the chemicals, oxytocin, often comes from feeling a part of a group. And you, when we're with friends or family, we get that oxytocin and it kind of counteracts the cortisol. A certain amount of cortisol actually helps us perform better. Too much of it will slow us down, debilitate us. My point is I like to tell my students, you know, this is a very common thing. This is a brain function. Uh, everybody gets scared. It's not just you, but there are ways to help manage that, uh, that fear. And if they kind of get to step back from the fear and to see, gee, these are chemicals coming through my body and this happens to everybody and there might be ways for me to counterbalance them. So that awareness of what's going on in their brains and as well for teachers trying to think, how can I help my students deal with the uh, anxieties that they may feel, it's like, well, let me try to counterbalance it with, for example, the excitement of dopamine or that nice feeling when we're all together. So teamwork really actually does help that. So it's an awareness that stress, fear, especially of something like public speaking is very, very normal, but we can balance these things out. This is not very scientific. It's just a simplistic overview of what's going on in our brains when we take the stage. That's fascinating. I, I always learn a lot from people I interview. And it just made me think of two quick things I wanna mention as well. Um, to bring down our affective filter, as we all know as language educators, that that really motivates students to be able to talk as uh, Peter is describing here. But one other way to do that is through humor, obviously in the classroom, as much as you can provide ways to create some humor in your classroom, it often brings down our affective filter and makes people feel safer just to, to share and present. Uh, and I thought of the idea also is maybe having people dress up in costumes that also gives them a different persona that then they might present in a different way if they have some formality to the way they're dressed and gives them a different aura for their presentation. It's just an idea to throw in there <laughs> for your listeners. That's, that's, yeah, that's excellent, Eileen. I like it very much. And right on cue, uh, here, for those of us who can see, uh, see the images here, here is a group of my students and they are giving their strangers presentations. Uh, I'm way there in the back. And I did not actually ask them to do the dressing up that you just mentioned, Eileen, but they decided on their own. They said, we're all going to dress in black for the presentation. So they got together, they got the, the teamwork going, they all dressed in black and they 
painted their faces. Uh, I gave names to my students. This was group B and I called them the killer bees. And uh, they, they took on that, uh, that team uh, identity and they painted little bees on their faces. And those of you who can see the image, they're all making a little bee with their fingers. And uh, that really helped them that sense of esprit de corps, that sense of being part of a team really did help. And just as you were saying, Eileen, bringing in some humor and uh, the, the sense of dressing up and, and stepping outside of their normal everyday persona can really be very helpful. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's great. The title of part three here is Veteran Stories. That's because I did take many of these people from this group and I brought them in for the next uh, group of students that I had. And this was very helpful. So these were veterans of stranger presentations. They'd done it before. And having them come in to my new students who are all terrified about this idea and to have the old veteran students come in and tell the stories. It was very calming for them to see people just a, a year ahead of them having survived this. And it's great for the, the veterans too, because they come in the classroom uh, with a real swagger. They're like, oh yeah, we survived this. And uh, the, the, the talk back and forth between the, the, the new guys who are just about to hit the stage and the old ones who have survived it really helped everybody to, to feel better about the whole situation. That's a fantastic idea as well, um, to have your older students, the veteran students that have been through your training, if you will, present to the newer students as an example and give your new students that confidence level. I'm sure you have quite the notoriety at your school for doing these things. It's great. Well, uh, maybe infamy, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to share that quote too? I thought that was interesting uh, for the application, the real life application of a student who then had a job presentation. Uh, actually, this was a native speaker of English who also had to give a presentation in Japanese. And uh, it says here, when I was interviewed for a job at a Japanese university, I was asked if I had ever given a presentation in Japanese. And, you know, there are many of us who, uh, as, as language teachers around the world, are also picking up the local language. And sometimes we forget what it's like for our students and that kind of fear. And, uh, and, and so this instructor was, uh, was being interviewed and it was a surprise question. She never expected to get this. And she's like, oh, have I ever, oh my goodness, yes, I did. I gave a, a presentation in the, in the strangers. And, and so I, I put this here because I really like it because you, you get these great stories that you get to tell again and again. And it's really nice, again, that equal status, having the teacher take the stage, just like the students and getting to see that perspective again. And you never really know when it might pop up in the future as uh, something that's a helpful benefit that you can uh, talk about and say, oh yeah, I, I did have that memorable experience. So, yes. Fantastic. Great, so moving along, we talked about, you have point four is team identity. Can you explain how, for our listeners, what you mean by that and how to create that team sense in your classroom? Yeah, sure. Uh, this is the, the same group of killer bees. And the quote here is, 
we really wanted to have fun and be as a team. People were looking at us uh, like a fools, but we didn't care. Maybe felt even a bit proud. And uh, it's great to see these photos of my old students. And they really, they really did join together. It was a bit similar to my students in the subway experience. They said, well, we can't escape this, so we might as well embrace it. And they, they did, they, they you know, took on this name, they had mascots and they said, yes, even if people think that we're foolish, we're going to do this together. And it, it really was uh, a great experience to see them not feel so alone on the stage because they had this sense of, of a team and that they, they were all working to do a good job. It was like, it's us against the world. It's us against the strangers. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't feel bad about, you know, looking a little silly, painting their faces. And they just, hearing them cheer each other on was just a really, really very beautiful thing. So uh, making the, 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 the students not feel that they are doing this all alone, but part of a team. Sorry, I no, that's great. Did they ever present uh, aloud in a team format or was it one person from the team presenting and the other teammates, if you will, are in the audience, but they know that they've got their teammates support in the audience? Is that how it works? I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've, done, I've done it in a few different ways. Um, in this group, they each presented five minute presentations alone on stage with others in the waiting in the wings and cheering them on. Um, I've also done it on small teams. We've had film festivals where a team of three or four would make a film and then they would get up in front of the big crowd and discuss how they created the film. And so they would be on stage, uh, not alone, but in small groups. And I've also done debates where the debate team will be on stage, but each person has, has a, a bit of a spotlight time uh, when they are alone. So it goes back and forth, but it, it, I do try to make uh, the spotlighting come out where everyone is going to have to talk for at least a minute or two all by themselves, yes. Fantastic, and yeah, for our listeners, debate skills are a wonderful way for experiential learning because that's part of life is having to debate different topics, whether it's politics, whether it's COVID, whatever your opinion is and all these things. Uh, debate skills are great skills to have your students practice in oral and writing activities in and outside of your classroom. Indeed, absolutely. Yeah, we all, we all go back to using those skills. Uh, so often in life, that's so very true. Um, we're jumping on to number five and moving along quickly here. And uh, number five is called the pre-presentation pep rally. And the quote here is, I really thought about how the audience would react and how I can draw their attention. So that's something that uh, a lot of the students said, that wow, we, it's so scary for them to think about the audience being bored when you actually look at those bored faces. We, we as educators know what that's like all the time when we have to step in front of a bored looking class, but uh, the, the students are maybe experiencing this for, uh, for a first time. And so one of the things that is also my, my crazy spirit, I do is before, the day before the presentation skill, uh, the stranger's presentation, I actually bring them 
to what I, what I call walking the battlefield. We go to the empty place with all the empty chairs and I have everybody come up on stage to see how it feels to look out in front of all of these empty uh, chairs. And this is the, the pep rally. The photo that you see is one of my classes and they're all there. And this is one of those classrooms where you can write on the walls. And so I would have each student come up and I would be kind of like the, the evil, uh, the, 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 the evil, um, my goodness, I think of the Michael Douglas movie of a chorus line when he's the guy choosing the people and he makes everyone stand up there and he kind of interrogates them. So I would play that evil role and I would look at them and they would stand up there by themselves and I would say, are you going to cry tomorrow? Are you gonna to fall apart? And they're like, oh, I don't know, well, baby. And then I would start getting everyone to write on the wall, this is my stage. And I would ask them to say it again and again, louder and louder. This is my stage, this is my stage. And they would write it on there and then they would start yelling it at each other and really try to get that energy saying, yes, we can do this. Yes, we can do this. And a pep rally, just like we remember from high school, really gets that energy up and going and seeing where they're going to be presenting helps them a lot. So they're not just imagining something that they haven't seen before. I actually still follow that idea of uh, walking the battlefield. Whenever I'm teaching a new class, I always try to get to the room the day before or give a presentation, get there and walk around and try to walk the battlefield. So it's not so much of a surprise to me when I get up there for real. That's a great tip for both teachers and <laughs> for teachers to use with their students. Uh, so I appreciate that. And for those of you who might not be familiar with the concept of pep rally, that's something we do. I'll say it's an American term. I don't know if it's used in other countries, but it's to motivate people to get energized, if you will, before like an athletic event, that kind of thing. It brings the crowd, energy of the crowd or the audience um, to the event. That's the idea of a pep rally. So I like the idea of getting your students' enthusiasm and it takes away, again, the affective filter brings it down because it'll take away their fear of presenting in front of each other when they have that uh, intrinsic motivation with their other students supporting them. So That's then into, we're almost finishing our six and seven points. Six is repeated presentations. This is really important points for all of us. If you'd like to elaborate on the importance of repetition and part as part of presentations. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's so very, very crucial in the process. We all know that you get better with practice. And too often I feel we prepare for a presentation, maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time. We get up there, we give the presentation, we sit back down and we're like, oh man. I wish I had done this, oh, I could have done that better and blah, 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 but that's it. It was a one-shot deal. And so what I try to do is to give my students another chance. And so I was very fortunate with uh, some of my students here in Japan where it was a two semester course. And so they gave the presentations um, sometimes a bit different, but they gave it in one semester and then in another semester. But I have also done it within one, one semester, one course, where they get to do this big presentation more than once. And 
I do this also on a very small scale, like uh, the spotlighting. I have them give the presentation in front of two or three people and then switch groups and give the same presentation again. And, you know, it, it's just in every single case, you see the improvements are drastic when they get to do it a second time or a third time. They catch so many things that they did wrong and it just gets better and better. Practice, I mean, it's, it sounds, it is cliche that it makes perfect, but it does definitely make improvements. And so I always try, especially for these big kind of events like practice interviews or presentations to give the students a second or maybe a third at least opportunity to do the presentations again. Uh, I'll read the quote real quick. I got a bit nervous when it's in front of strangers since I don't usually get nervous in front of my classmates. Yeah, that's the thing. Sometimes we do get some practice just in front of our classmates, but it's a kind of a different animal when it's in front of strangers. So when they get to do it more than once, that really helps to iron out some of those problems. That second chance, uh, we, we really need it, but very often uh, in the learning experience, it's, it's the one-shot deal. So I, I try to avoid that when possible. Fantastic. And I'm sure offering a chance for feedback and Q&A can also be a part of those repeated presentations to hone in the specific skills you're looking to teach at any given point in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I, I was just going to, as we've moved to the seventh one, uh, picking up on what you were just saying, Eileen, that yes, reflection is, is such a key. And so, uh, as I've mentioned in earlier steps, both the, uh, hopefully a second chance to repeat the presentation comes along for, for the students. Also, I bring back the veterans uh, to teach uh, the next class that I have, what it was like for them. Also, I very often after the big strangers presentation, I give them some sort of an assignment where they must reflect and write something and talk about how it felt and what they learned from it. So some formal way of reliving and thinking about what, uh, what did I learn from this instead of just the sigh of relief that it's over to actually go back and really say, ah, you know, I, I did learn something from this. Let me talk about exactly what it was. And it very often is yet another bonding experience because they'll share with each other and say, oh, really? I felt that too. Oh yeah, okay. I thought that that was just me. And it's a nice bonding experience and a good time to reflect and to really see, gee, that, that was a very meaningful uh, learning experience for me. I have the quote here, uh, after my graduation, I feel more what strangers uh, brings to my life. Strangers grew me up in a non-academic way. This was one of my students that uh, is, is now in corporate Japan and uh, looks back on the time that she was up on stage and that this continued to happen to her 
in the, her work life where she would be thrust into a situation where she had to defend what her company was doing or ask for a promotion or convince a client. And she says, you know, a lot of the things that I have to do in my work life were very, very similar to taking that stage in front of these strangers. So some things that she didn't quite realize when she was doing it, she was just trying to survive and get a good grade in the class. But as years went by, uh, she found value in, uh, in the experience. Fantastic. And I know we've already made a half an hour, so we'll wrap up quickly. Uh, but you wanted to mention about Gordon Alport's contact hypothesis briefly, and then we'll wrap up with your final teaching tips. Sure, just very quickly, the contact hypothesis is, is uh, it has to do actually with prejudice, but I found it very helpful with willingness to communicate. The concept is you try to make a situation have these five conditions, these five factors, equal status that I mentioned several times, common goals, again, all of the students have the same goal to give the presentation, cooperation we've talked about, Authority support, the instructor, whoever, who says, yes, this is what you're going to do. And these four together kind of combine to the friendship potential. And these five, and any of your listeners, viewers who would like to look at Gordon Allport's contact hypothesis, you put these together and it really does help the learning experience and the willingness to communicate. And I have found that it does culminate in friendship potential and many of the killer bees and other groups there are still five, six, eight years later are still very close friends. Yeah, that's wonderful. And building that community of learners in your classroom is again, really essential to wanting to motivate language learning. And again, bringing down the effective filter for effective language uh, acquisition. So quick summary of Kolb's experiential learning model. Do you want to briefly discuss Yeah, it, it's, it's again, something that's easily found. It's just the idea of having strong experiences, reflecting on them, and then, uh, you know, putting together some of the abstract ideas in, in that reflection, and then trying it again. It's, it's just a cycle of taking a real life experience, thinking about it. This is a great oversimplification of his wonderful model, but yeah. uh, just in, in a few seconds, uh, just the having the experience, reflecting on it, taking some key abstract concepts out of it, and then trying them in an experimental way in new situations. And it is just a cycle of, of learning. It's how we all learn and it's nice to bring into the classroom. Fantastic. So for our listeners, what would you say are the biggest results you get out of using this technique of presenting to strangers, if you will? Um, mm -hmm. What are your takeaways for our listeners that help your language learners in particular succeed in their language acquisition? Yes, I, I think that demotivation is a very big problem and that is often tied to fear and fear is often tied to the unknown. So the strangers, not only are the people strangers, but the whole experience is very strange and taking away that unknown factor uh, and giving that boost in confidence. My students again and again and again say, wow, 
I did that. And I, I would have been terrified to just think of this a few years, months uh, in, in the past, but now I've got that. I've done that. If I can do that, then maybe I can go and talk to that person, or maybe I can apply for this. Having overcome this fear, this fear of the unknown or fear of the known of a, a big stage in front of people, uh, but overcoming that gives people a very big boost in confidence. And what we all know is the importance of practice, the importance of going out and using the language that uh, people are trying to acquire. But people, if they are not willing to go and take that leap, then they're not going to get that practice. And they're gonna sit quietly, they won't raise their hand, they won't go over and talk to that person. And so uh, anything that helps overcome or at least manage that fear can really be a boost in all kinds of learning. Fantastic. So just to summarize our top teaching tips with Peter, you have a couple of points you wanna mention as a summary for our listeners? Yes, um, strive for authenticity, make it real for the students so that they, they're like, ah, yeah, this has very clear applications in my real life. It's not just in that safe, comfortable place. And that's the second one, get familiar, everyone get familiar, including the teachers, uh, with discomfort. And so sometimes we all as teachers want to make our classroom as comfortable as possible because we care so much about our students. We don't want to hurt them. And we also want them to like us. But sometimes uh, the discomfort uh, is something that can really actually help them and make the learning a bit more authentic. And just in general, even when you're pushing your students into the discomfort zone, uh, I always strive to make my students even more, even more than having them believe in themselves, because that sometimes is tricky. But I want to make sure that my students believe deeply that I believe in them. And when they believe that I believe they can do it, that seems to really push them. There's actually some research about this as well, but that's what I try to do. I want to make sure that they know hey, guys. Even when you're scared, even when you're uncertain, I know you can do it. And if I can make them believe that I believe in them, ah, they can move mountains. That's fantastic. I love that. And that's a wonderful ending to our podcast with you today. We really appreciate your time with us, Peter. You've given us a lot of valuable tips for presenting to strangers as an authentic way to experiential education outside the classroom and inside the classroom, how to do both. So thank you so much again for joining us today. We really appreciate your expertise. Just for our listeners, uh, don't forget at the end of every month, the Saturday, October 30th, we have two times where we'll be doing our TTELT talks, 12 noon Eastern Standard Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is a chance for you to talk about matters that you and your students uh, are most relevant to all of you to discuss in a format for you as educators to have a safe place to talk and share your ideas and come with questions, concerns for us to dialogue together. Thank you so much. Uh, join us on our website, ttelt.org. Just check out our new events, upcoming events. Uh, follow us on Facebook, as well as Instagram and Twitter. 
We'd love you to be one of our supporters and feel free to share any expertise that you might have or recommend somebody to us at tteltinfo at gmail.com. Thanks, Peter. We really appreciated your being with us today. Thank you, Eileen. It was a great honor. I, I love what your organization is doing. It was great to be here with you. And I am quite a supporter of your, your teaching tips and it's a great forum to share them. Thank you. Thank you for joining us from across the world over in Saudi Arabia and uh, hope we'll see more of you in the near future and you can be one of our leaders globally. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eileen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Peter. We'll be in touch. Have a great, wonderful rest of your day. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.